0: And as a boy, according to scripture, Samuel said to God, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Every time we open this book, what we're saying is, speak, Lord, your servant is hearing. We want to do what the Lord has said. We want to put into practice the simple teaching of the Son of God. And here is Mary. And she is sitting intently at the feet of Jesus. And Luke tells us she heard him. She heard his word. If you and I had the opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus, would we not want to hear what he has to say? If we had the opportunity to invite him into our home, would we want to listen to his every word? I think about what Mark recorded in chapter 12, verse 37, of his account of the life of Jesus. He said, the common people heard him gladly. When I think about Mary and Martha, I think about just common people. Just ordinary, everyday folks. You and today, we ought to have the same intent to feed upon the Word of God. It is necessary for the soul, but it's also that which nourishes the soul. In John chapter 6, Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. And you and I know that Jesus, as that living bread, gave himself for the human family. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Acts 6, verse 38. The Bible tells us in that context, And John tells us, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more intently. Because after all, the words that he spoke will ultimately have a bearing on our eternal destiny. He that rejecteth my word. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him. So I want to make sure that I understand what this book has to say. The sweetness of God's Word. He said, It's sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth in Psalm 119, 103. The psalmist of old intently delved into the Word of God and meditated on that Word day and night, as the psalmist said in Psalm 1 at verse 2. And so... The Word of God will nourish the soul. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why is that? That you might grow thereby. You want to grow as a Christian? You want to be mature in what you ought to be as as one of his children? You've got to feed on this book. You've got to nourish your your soul. There, There have been a lot of important writers. There have been a lot of important people down through time. And we could go back and we could look at some of the famous figures of history. Individuals that have left, as we would say, their mark on the world in which we live. Do you know of anyone that has made a greater impact on human history than Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I don't know of anyone. Just a few days ago, A lot of people assembled in this city, or in the Mid-South, in Memphis, to think about, reflect, on the life of Elvis Presley. A lot of folks from around the globe came. They came as, well, they came to reflect upon his life and his death. It's been about 37 years since Elvis stepped out into eternity. It's amazing to me the hundreds, the thousands of people that will come together for a candlelight vigil. And yet, how insignificant that is in comparison to the countless thousands and millions of people that for almost 2,000 years have come together to reflect upon the death of God's only begotten Son. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you show forth the Lord's death till He come, making a mark on the human family. There is no one in history that has ever made an impact like Jesus. Great men, famous men, absolutely. But all pale in comparison to the Son of God. And So God's Word is what nourishes the soul. It's the only thing that can nourish, nourish the soul. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is, when we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, we can forget... Our worries. Listen now to what is said in verse 40. You have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. In contrast, Mark said, or Luke said rather, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Now I want you to look at three words used by Jesus to depict Martha. He said, she is distracted, worried, and troubled. Now when we sit at, when we sit at the feet of Jesus... Despite everything that's going on in the world around us, we can forget our worries. Well, why is that? Because we are in the presence of the great I Am. The one of whom the Hebrew writer said upholds all things by the word of His power. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus asked what I believe to be a profound question. And the reason I bring this up is because of what is said about Martha. She was distracted, worried, and troubled, and then note, about many things. When we we think about what Jesus said about Martha, I want to ask this question. How many of us can identify with what the Lord said about her? How many of us feel the same way? We're distracted, we're worried, and we're troubled about many things in life. So in Matthew chapter 6, here's what Jesus asked in verse 28. Why do you worry? Now think about that for a minute. Here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to His Word. And Martha is distracted, worried. And troubled about a lot of things. So Jesus asked a question that continues to penetrate the hearts and minds of people. Why do you worry? There are lots of folks in our world and there are lots of people in the church. Who are distracted, worried and troubled about many things. I want to ask you this question. Why? Why? Now, by implication, obviously, what was said of Martha was not true for Mary. I don't think Mary was distracted, worried, or troubled about many things. But not so with Martha. What we need to understand... Is that when we are distracted and worried and troubled about many things, we need to remember that we serve the Lord and that He is, number one, compassionate. The Lord is compassionate. We are members of the human family, He understands what life's all about. As a matter of fact, Jesus has been here. He has lived. He has faced the difficulties, the trials, and the tribulations of life. He has experienced humanity. And yet, out of all of that, he's compassionate and understanding. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 that a leper approached Jesus on one occasion. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says that Jesus put forth His hand and touched Him and said, I'm willing to be be clean. But Mark prefaces that by saying that Jesus was moved with compassion. The Hebrew writer said that we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I think about Jesus understanding my plight Here on planet earth. The Lord understands. Not only is he compassionate and understanding. But based on what I read in scripture. He cares. Now there's some folks that have. A grave misconception about God. They have the idea that God created the world. And then walked away. Those who identify with that kind of doctrine are called deist and they have the the idea that god has left man to just make it on his own let me tell you what that's not the god that i know that's not the jesus that i read about in scripture no the bible tells me that the lord cares he cares about what i'm facing in life you remember the psalmist in psalm 142 David was the writer in Psalm 142. And David was being hounded by his enemies. And he was on the run. And no one was standing beside him. As a matter of fact, he said God and God alone was his refuge. But he said in about verse 4, No man cares for my soul. Sometimes we, like David, we tend to forget that there are people that really care. Sometimes we have the attitude, sometimes because life is crowding in, and sometimes because of the difficulties of life, maybe we feel like we're out here all alone. That's how David felt. And if you felt like that, you're like David. No one cares for my soul. That's what David said. Now, did no one really care for David? I think people cared about him. But God in heaven cared about him. The Lord cares. If it were the case that every single person on planet earth were to turn their backs upon us, the Lord would still care. Peter said, casting all your care on him. Well, why is that, Peter? Because he cares for you. When you read Matthew to Revelation. Go back and read the Psalms. Let me tell you what. You want a a point driven home over and over again? You know what that point is? God cares about you. God is interested in where you are in life. So, the Lord's compassionate. He is caring. Let me tell you something else about the Lord. He's concerned. Sometimes, when we face difficulties in life, and like Martha, we're distracted and worried and troubled about many things, we have the idea that no one's concerned about our feelings, our thoughts, our hurts, our anguish. Well, the Lord's concerned. How do I know that? Here's what Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1. The Lord said that men ought to always pray and not faint. In other words, not become discouraged. What Jesus is saying is, because He cares and because He is concerned about our mental state, our physical welfare, Because He is concerned about us as members of the human family. He wants us to go before the throne of God and there's a reason for that. Because we can lay before Him all of our troubles, all of our worries, all of our distractions. Let me tell you what, there is not a load too heavy to put on His throne. I promise you. There's not anything that you're bearing in this life And it may be the case that you feel like you are cumbered with a load of care. Let me tell you what. God in heaven, He can handle it. And when I say He can handle it, I mean He can handle it. The writer of Hebrews said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and listen to Him, and find grace to help in time of need. I can, as Jesus said, enter into my prayer closet. And I can get down on my knees and I can lay before the throne of God all of my feelings and all of my hurts and all of my worries and distractions and the troubles that I have in this life. And I can walk away knowing that I have put it on the throne of somebody that has the ability, the power to do something. There are folks in this world and there are people in the church that are facing, as we would say, uphill battles in life. And I can lend an ear, I can lend a voice of encouragement, I can pray with them, but look, I have limitations. There's only so much I can do. But when, we're, when, we, when we go before the throne of God, we're going before the presence of an all-powerful God Read Psalm 139. The Bible says we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The very God that made this universe. If he could make the world and uphold the world by the word of his power, don't you think he can help us? The psalmist in the long ago said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. And then he asked the question, from where does my help come? He said, my help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. Here's the point. The psalmist is saying, look, I can go to God for help. Why? Because this is the very being that made the world, the universe. He can make the world and make the universe. He can help me with whatever I'm facing in life. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly and that is when we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus we can focus on His will. Now listen again to what Luke said in verse 39. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. Now look at verse 42. And this is what Jesus says to Martha after she said to the Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore bid her to help me. And Jesus said, One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You ever thought about how sitting at the feet of Jesus when we open this book, And we read about the life of the Lord and His intentions for us in this world and in this life. you ever thought about how it helps to crystallize what life is all about? It it brings clarity to life. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have no sense of direction in life, do they? They like focus. They They don't have any idea. Why they're here. When you spend enough time in this book, you will be able to focus intently on the will of God. Let me tell you what, you spend enough time in this book, it will bring clarity to what life's all about. First of all, it will help you with your priorities in life. Jesus again said to Martha, You're distracted. You're worried and troubled about many things. Years ago, when I when I graduated from college, I never will forget, I was in, in a car riding with a fella, and he was talking to me about deciding which direction to go in life by way of career. And what he was really saying was at some point in time, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to go this way or this way? And he said, if you try to chase two rabbits, you'll miss them both. Never have forgotten that. Sometimes we need to step back and evaluate, or maybe even reevaluate, our priorities in life. You ever thought about how plain and concise Jesus was? In the selection of his words, hard to misunderstand what Jesus said. Over and over again, you can read what he said. You can't misunderstand what he said unless you have help. For example, Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. What'd you say, Jesus? Seek first. That means before anything else. When I sit down and evaluate my life and focus on His will, I understand first and foremost, here's what the Lord wants from me. He wants me to put Him and His will before anything. That word first denotes in time, and in place of importance he's saying you've got to put me before anything the more time you spend in this book that's the conclusion you'll reach God's not just interested in a a small slice of your life he doesn't want just a piece of you he wants all of you he wants 100% consecration to him and him alone Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. He said the life, well, he said I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All Paul was saying is the Lord's first. And then there's a second thing. Not only does he help us with our priorities, But I think as we sit at his feet and focus on his will, we come to appreciate where our passion should be in life. I know that right now there are a lot of folks that all they can talk about is football. Because in just a few days, it's going to begin. There is a lot of money spent on the radio, on television. Everybody wants to talk about football. Why? Because that's their passion. Well, as a child of God, you know what our passion is supposed to be? I'm not saying we can't like football. We all, you know, there are a lot of things that we like to do. But we ought to have a burning heart for God. Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He said this is the first and great commandment. The Lord's saying that I need to love him supremely. With every fiber in my body, I need to love him with all of my heart, soul, and mind. So, what about my love for him? Revelation chapter 2 at verse 4, the Bible says that when Jesus looked at the church in Ephesus he said nevertheless I have this against you you've left your first love sometimes our love for the Lord grows cold because we don't sit at his feet enough if you don't spend time with the Lord every day guess what you will not have your priorities right and your passion will not be what it ought to be there's a third thing I believe that when we sit at the feet of Jesus and focus on his will We come to understand what this pilgrimage in life is all about What is life all about? Now there are a lot of people that will tell you it's all about the here and now It's all about Well It's all about happiness It's all about contentment It's all about how much I can get out of the world There are a lot of people that are filling their bank accounts. They are accumulating land and stocks and bonds and a whole lot of things. But you know what? One day when life comes to a crashing halt, all that quote-unquote stuff that we've been accumulating and building up, all those things, they're going to stay behind. That's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on this earth. You've got to make a choice in life. You've got to understand that you are only here for a short period of time. One day, this life as we know it, it's over. That's why the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. One day, we're going to check out of this world. And so when we check out the only thing that's going to matter, our relationship with the Lord, how did we live here upon this earth? Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, how we are strangers and pilgrims. And he said, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, in the long ago, said, We look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, he said, are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, you understand what this life's all about. There are a lot of blessings to be had in this life, and God is a bountiful God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. But the bottom line is, we've got to understand that this life is intended to bring honor and glory to God and to live in such a way so that we can go home I'm not talking about where you live now I'm talking about going home to be with God so I want to encourage you sit daily at the feet of Jesus and learn the lessons that He intends for you to learn. In closing, are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He can give you a blessed life, a happy life, a good life, but you've got to come to Him. Here are the terms. Believe, it, believe that He's the Son of God. Hebrews 11:6. 6. Repent of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess the name of Christ, Acts 8, verse 37. Be immersed for the washing away of your sins, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. And be faithful until death, Revelation 2, 10. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful. We'd like to pray with you and for you. And we believe that God will abundantly pardon all of your sins, 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?